0: Hello and welcome to the Home Assistant Podcast. This is episode number 65. As usual, I've got Rohan here. Hey, good afternoon. And today we are joined by Jaden, all the way from New Zealand. Good morning, Jaden.
1: Good morning. Uh, Hey, thanks for having me on the show.
0: This episode is sponsored
2: by Home Assistant Cloud by Nabucasa. Easily and securely access your local Home Assistant instance remotely for a small monthly fee that also supports the Home Assistant project. The configuration is done by the user interface, so there's no fiddling with router settings, SSL certificates, or any YAML.
0: Alright, Rohan, let's get straight into it. I think. (laughs) This one I thought was an April Fool's joke, but it is apparently not an April Fool's joke. Yeah, bad timing. Uh, At first, I thought that's it. Like this is an epic April Fool's joke. They've. Gone to the extreme to get this, <laughs> but no, it's it's for real. So Apple has purchased or acquired the Dark yeah. Sky Weather Service. So if you are a home assistant user, it's probably a good chance that at some stage you have used this weather service. I know I'm currently using this service for my weather. Uh, I don't know about you guys. So on April first, uh, it was announced that they've been purchased by Apple, and I think effectively immediately. Apple have removed the Dark Sky Weather app from the Android Play Store. Wow. Yeah, and I think if you have a subscription, it will be turned off as of July 1, yeah, end like- of July this year. So they're not giving yeah. much time. If you've, if, if, if you've purchased a, like a yearly subscription, they'll give you some credit back. They'll refund you the difference. And Apple are also closing down the web API, and this is what is the real kicker. For home assistant yeah. users, because this is what home assistant uses to get the weather data from the dark sky, and that's going down at the end of two thousand twenty one.
2: Yeah. So again, it's one of those things where I mean, I think I think we've talked about it enough, right? Just just in terms of people killing services, how we feel about it, blah blah blah. But in in a case like this, again, it is it is really uh, you know it's 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 crappy, right? It's, it's called spade a spade here. It's it's
0: not a, it's a dog move by Apple, in my opinion.
2: Yeah. I I mean, am I shocked that, you know, somebody like Apple did something like this? No. Right. Um, Apple has never really touted to be that. Hey, we're open. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, yeah, it it is what it is. Right. But uh, it's it is really crappy because Dark Sky was actually again. I don't use it now, but I used to use it at some point in my life. And Mm -hmm. and it's, it's a great app right? It's a great service. It's uh, it worked really well. And uh, it's even better that they had an API to go along with it. So mm. um, that's not going to be the case anymore. Hopefully, there's a few other really good ones that pop up in its place. Let's,
0: yeah. uh, I think um, someone mentioned Wire is uh, which is available in Home Assistant. Yep. Um, there's a lot of local weather services that are in Home Assistant now. I know you're here in Australia. We've got the Bomb, yeah. Rohan, you've got Mateo. Or, or no, that's France, maybe.
2: Yeah, there's a there's a few. I think we have the uh, government, uh, whatever feed integrated mm-hmm. in there as well. At some point, uh, I forget what it's called. I used to use that, and then I don't. I don't use pull my weather into it anymore. But yeah, it, it, I mean, again, there are a lot of alternatives, right? Um, so it's not. It, it's just it's unfortunate because this was actually
0: a good one, mm. and this was actually a featured integration that Home Assistant had. So this was one on the top page. Yeah, Home yeah. Assistant was you know, happy to say we support this service. That, of course, has been changed now. So if you go to the integrations page on Home Assistant, it is no longer a featured integration. But, yeah, it's just sad when something like this goes. And I think generally it's a, a, you know, a company killing off a physical product. It's rare that we see a, a cloud service like this being acquired and immediately shut down. Well,
2: that's it. That's it. It's... I know we've got until
0: end of 2021, but you know, it...
2: right? Yeah. Well, that, that's it. So I mean, to me, that just gives enough time for somebody else to come up with something better. So <laughs> yeah, so. let's let's get the creatives out there. <laughs> so I mean, outside of that, um, let's talk about uh, the one hundred eight release. So a couple of new things coming in. There's a lot of cool uh, integration icons that are now featured in the uh, UI. So. It's something small, but uh, basically, so let's say for example, if you fire up a new integration through the UI for Philips Hue, you'll see a little Philips icon in there. Again, it's not a huge; uh, it doesn't functionally affect anything, not really. But uh, it's a kind of nice little, nice little touch uh, worth mentioning.
0: It would be nice to be able to see all of, like, I'm imagining eventually you'll be going you to know, add integration and there will be just like a yeah. wall of icons that you can click. Like that's going to be cool.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I personally, I like, I liked having the, <laughs> the words there just because again, to me it's, I don't necessarily pay attention to people's icons, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Or I may, you know, Somebody changes their icon. I know their old one, and you know yeah, takes me another weird. ten minutes to find find the integration. <laughs> but but I mean I mean I'm I'm okay with with either way. Uh, but yeah, it, again, small touch, but it's kind of nice. Uh,
0: there is now uh, many more integrations that can, can be configured via the UI. So a whole bunch of new stuff, including Roku, Logitech, uh, the Harmony hubs, and Ratio, uh sprinklers. I think they are. So yeah, a whole bunch more have been added to be able to configured. By the UI this release and I'm guessing next release is just going to keep snowballing so good to see stuff moving away from YAML uh, makes it a bit easier I, I know I personally love YAML so I'm always a bit disheartened when I see the the breaking changes that you can't configure stuff by YAML anymore hopefully this uh, is all worth it in the end though yeah this one
2: this one's actually kind of neat they and, and this is just a couple of the highlights there, there's actually a pretty large list I was actually pretty surprised mm. that uh, at how many came out all at once so It's, uh, it's really nice to see that Um, map panel. So now you can see a history of where a person's been. So again, mixed feelings on this one. So it is is all local, right? Um, But Mm. again, it's, you know, does my girlfriend really want me to have a map of exactly where she's traveled through wherever? I mean, probably not. (laughs) Yeah,
0: it's a little bit big
2: brother, but but I could I could see the use case for it again. If it's like, hey, if this person's gone here, then here, then here, then do X, Y, Z. Now, I don't necessarily know that you can use that in an automation. So maybe that doesn't make sense. But I guess people want to visualize it. Sure, it's there. I mean, you could technically do that today just by scraping the um, if you use like the mobile app integration, if you just scrape the GPS coordinates and pull that in every time. In theory, you could do that now without without this map panel, but they just do it for you.
0: Yeah. I think uh I was speaking to, with someone on Discord and they had shown me their Grafana uh dashboard and they were using that data in Grafana to put over like a big map of a heat right. map of where they'd been, right? It was crazy. It was like, wow, there is just so much you can do with this data. And obviously then it gets a bit creepy, right? Like you can see, you know, travel times and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So, yeah. One of those things where it's sort of like there's a lot of power if you're a bit evil you can do a lot of bad things with it i think yeah speaking of uh creepy things if you have an amazon echo one of the echo shows the home assistant cameras can now be displayed so you can now ask your little lady in there you know show the living room or show the front door i actually just recently got uh, an echo show so i'm hoping that i can integrate some cameras with home assistant get some nice ip cameras and to be a cool feature i'd be interested to know if Being the echo, if it requires to dial out to Amazon's cloud servers to get like a proxy of the image, or if it can go directly to the IP cam in the network, I'll be very interested to see how that works.
2: I I, I would,
0: I would be very surprised if it was local. I know, me too, right? Because I have the Ring cam, and that's obviously very cloud based. And you know, I would say to her, you know, um, hey, little lady what you know show the front door and there's you know like a good three four second delay before it comes up right yeah yeah um i i know i know they were
2: i don't know if they ever did it i know they were looking at doing a lot of stuff locally as well um the as an example the uh i forget what it's called but the echo that has the like the highest level with the ha and all that stuff. pro Pro, is it Yeah. yeah 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 so that because again it's got i think it's got zigbee built in Yep. Uh, so again, they have a lot of local stuff. So I think, especially after that, they uh, there there is a focus on local, right? Um, actually, really cool is HomeKit is actually pretty much all local, mm-hmm. right? Um,
0: a lot of Google Assistant stuff is starting to go local too. Yeah.
2: So this,
0: I I, I don't know. I mean, I mean,
2: maybe they pull it locally. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see.
0: Uh, and the uh, Zigbee automation, the ZHA uh, component in Home Assistant which is all Zigbee, can now group lights together in a Zigbee group and it will actually add an entity to the home assistant. Now this is cool um, if, and I would assume that this has been in for a while, maybe it just didn't expose an entity, but the whole concept of a Zigbee group allows you to put a whole bunch of lights together and then you can control them pretty much instantaneously uh, at once. So it's really cool if you've got like a room with four lights, you can then have them all turn off and on at the same time. Really cool, actually. If you do things like flashing the lights, you can actually have them flash at all at the same time. Yeah. So yeah.
2: Yeah, there's there's uh, again. So for me, I have uh, I I have very little Zigbee lights, but uh, I have exactly two, and they're the uh, IKEA tar- uh, Free or whatever they're called. Mm-hmm. And uh, I use them in my uh, in my range hood, so in my, in my exhaust fan, essentially in my kitchen, right? So uh, those ones are. Uh, those sorts of things. So I, I, I never, I never really have a use case for being like, okay, I want the left one off and the right one on. Yeah, right? yeah. like it's. I usually want them both on or both off. So that this is actually kind of kind of handy. I, 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 I don't know. Maybe, maybe Phil. Maybe like, is, is there a big difference then compared to me saying, hey, turn them both off or turn them both on at the same time? Because that, that's kind of what I do now.
0: There is. There is. If, it's like, so for example, I have all my downlights as Zigbee, right? Mm-hmm. And so in a room, I have six Zigbee lights as one room. I issue a command to home assistant to turn them all off. It's still going one by one to each light to turn them off. Right. And so as they all turn off, you know, one light in the corner might turn off before the other light in the opposite corner or something like that. They're not going to be exactly to the second all off at the same time. However, when they're grouped, pretty much guaranteed that they will all go off at a pretty much near the same time. It's, it's very like, it's a, much more natural experience. Fair. So, so so, it's more for the experience, less about the actual function about it. Correct. Like the, the you're still doing the same thing, right? If you've got six lights in a group, mm-hmm. then if you still turned each six, if you put them in six lights all off and on, you're all going to end up in the same state. Right, right. It just happens. It's a lot more user-friendly for it to happen all at once. Okay. That makes sense.
2: Um, also something cool. Um, so if you use docker uh like i do you should see a performance increase hopefully so, so they've made that they've made the docker core container uh, basically utilize memory and and resources a lot better and a lot more efficiently so hopefully that means mm. it translates to a better better performance overall right which is kind of nice to see um and if you're even if you're running uh home assistant core on has io i would assume that has IO mm. part of, or the, the home assistant core part of that has IO would get uh, a These nice boost too. as well. Uh, yeah. Again, I, I would assume so. I don't, I don't know. Obviously that's outside of the has IO supervisor itself. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of uh, always
1: good to see faster.
0: Especially like on a Raspberry Pi, right? Like anything you can squeeze mm-hmm. out of that, anything extra mm-hmm. that'd be well useful.
1: I am starting to like, cause I'm running on my, my setup on a Raspberry Pi. I'm also starting to see a mm. little bit of the limits that I'm hitting as well. So, I'd be yeah, good for a bit more right. performance. Yeah, yeah. It's, it it uh, even
0: just like a little bit, right? We'll just add that little bit. Like you might get another th- two or three components be able to integrate. You know, yeah. It'd Eventually, be great. you might have to move over. But
2: yeah, or even it, it, it's funny because my I don't know why this is a source of anxiety for me, but like every time I have, like if I ever update or whatever reboot uh, uh, my my Home Assistant instance for whatever reason. It's always like, okay, is it going to be up? Is is uh, you know anybody in the house? Are they going to be like, hey, turn on this light or turn off this light while while my container my is still spinning up? So yeah, it, it's it's exactly. the silliest point of anxiety. But
0: <laughs> all right, another cool Tesla integration this time is the Tesla Powerwall. So when you enable this integration, there will be binary sensors to let you know if the grid power is offline. And there's also various energy and consumption sensors that you can add to those nice little Grafana dashboards for you.
2: Yeah, it's actually kind of nice. You can have some notifications and stuff to say. Uh, I think uh, it was, I think it was John that we were talking to uh, mm. who's got yep. notifications when uh, uh, when it goes to solar power versus uh, versus uh, I guess shore power. Yeah, and uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of cool.
0: And it'd be cool, like for automations. For like, if you did automations, you could have you know if the powers out, turn off you know maybe the fridge, and you know, cut power to the fridge, or anything that's going to really take down the battery quickly and get as much power out of it, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly, or or vice versa, it's, it's mm. if you want to Shut everything else off battery. but leave the fridge. Yeah, well, uh, exactly. If you want if you want to get charged less during the whenever your power wall isn't trying up power, uh, probably not the best strategy. But I mean, hey, people have their use cases, right? So. Mm. Philips Hue now supports uh, button press events. If you're using the integration with the Hue hub, um, anytime you can you press the button, whatever, you can actually see that uh, that is an event coming in. So um, from whatever Z- uh, ZigBee buttons you have or Hue buttons you have uh, that are linked in the gateway. So, Jaden. Yeah. Let's talk about you, man. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, you know, how long you've been using Home Assistant, what got you into it, that kind of stuff.
1: So I've been uh, using Home Assistant since like... March, April last year, 2019. Okay. Um, I, remember, mm-hmm. I remember because it was around the 0.90 release, and it was very confusing to install it at that time because I was installing it on Raspberry Pi and there was conflicting tutorials because at the time I thought I wanted to do it um, with Rasp- um, Haspian or whatever the OS was. Yeah,
0: <laughs> the Haspian, yep. Yeah, because yeah.
1: Cause all the tutorials I was seeing had a command line, and then when I'd installed Hasio, I wasn't getting the right command line. yeah. Mm-hmm. Eventually, I figured it out. <laughs> <laughs> and and now you're here. Now I'm here. <laughs> um, so, so before that, we'd had a couple of um, Alexa units in the house. Um, Dad bought himself one as a Christmas present. <laughs> that's awesome. <Nice. laughs> but nothing really before that, I can't remember.
2: Okay, that's kind of cool. So yeah. what uh, what was the big thing that uh, that made you want to go into it like why why is it was it just like a hey this is kind of cool shiny thing or was it were did you were you kind of like hey this is kind of what I want to get into and do some stuff around it and...
1: Yeah, I was quite interested in it because of one used to put my Raspberry Pi to cuz it was just sitting around collecting dust. Yeah. Um, there wasn't mm-hmm. one major integrational device that I can think of, but just
0: the little things around house are good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what sort of got you into using Home assistant and home automation in in general.
1: Well, I'm just interested in technology. Uh, so cool to see where things can go next. Like I was always hearing about, oh, you can do this cool stuff with Lex or you can do this cool stuff with other things. And it, I was interested to see what could happen. No, that's
2: wicked. It's uh, it's it's cool. I'm I'm actually looking at your blog right now, and I'm uh, I'm looking at uh, a, a deck that you built. Yeah, that was pretty cool project yeah that's that's really neat so you've got lighting all inbuilt within the deck and everything We'll we'll, we'll post a link to the show notes mm. and uh yeah this is this is really nicely done so i, I want to get my <laughs> I've, I've been saying this for like two years now but i want to do my backyard uh, we, we've decided <laughs> uh, especially especially after the girlfriends moved in we've decided this is happening this year <laughs> so um especially if we're going to sit in isolation might as well sit outside when it's nice out yeah, yeah if you're
1: going to do that just to just make sure you um, try and keep your LEDs in one long strip because it is a real pain to try and cut and resolder to waterproof LED strips. Yeah, it, mm.
2: interesting. So so actually, I'd, I'd love to pick your brain on this. So I, I have heard that if your LED strips are too
1: long, you start losing power down the strip. Right. So di-
2: did you did you run into
1: any of those kind of
2: issues or anything?
1: We're not seeing any issues because along the back wall, we're driving 10 meters in a line okay. on the back wall of the um, deck. Um, I'm not seeing any visible light dropping in those, but they are just um, – they're not color-changing or anything. They're just – you put in 12 volts to them, and that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right.
2: Oh, that's cool. So so are you how, – how are you driving a lot of that? Are you using any uh, controllers, whatever?
1: So they're driven by 12-volt power supplies, and we're switching the um, high-voltage side of them with um, a four-channel Sonoff device that I flashed with Tasmota. Okay. So – that's what I've got to drive them. That's
2: really cool. And and it's been all it's been working well and everything so far, eh? Yeah,
1: it works perfectly. I've uh, got another blog post about how they're wired to come on at sunset if occupation's on, and that's great. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> always oh, gets nice. people what looking you out and saying, oh, it's sunset. That's <laughs>
2: <laughs> that, that, it, It's funny, right? Because it's, it's always those indicators going. Um, like for, for me, all of my lights inside, a whole bunch of my lights inside turn on just like 45 minutes before sunset or whatever. And it's like, oh man, now it's
1: going to be
0: dark in the next 45 minutes. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. What do you use for presence? Like, how do you know who's home?
1: Well, the only presence I'm using is just the network scanning yep. one. Not not using anything special installed on the phones or router or anything. Yeah. Because um, it's the easiest to set up. You don't even have to bother the person to install something. So.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Once you know their Mac address, then that's it, right? You've, you know when they're home.
1: engineering your success how many uh how many people utilize your smart technologies about three of us go and come and go from the house at from time to time i'm yeah. always there as well
2: yeah 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 so so i guess using the uh the network mapping i guess makes sense for you especially then right so yeah to say uh you know based on whatever it's it's especially if there's a dynamic environment do you do you find that it like reduces your like phone i'm guessing your checking your phone uh or pinging your phone or whatever are you uh
1: do you find that it like kills your battery or anything like that i haven't noticed any um drastic battery decrease on the network since i put it on so i don't think it's um having as much of a impact as doing gps based one could right because right. that's what really drains my phone battery i notice whenever i'm using gps yeah
0: yeah are you using like the Nmap scanner or something, or have you got like a yeah? That's, integration that's the integration. The yep,
1: no, that's yep. the Nmap one. I only have the ISP router.
0: Yep, because I think, um, Ryan, I know I use um, the Asus integration for mine, and because it's direct, like it's talking to the router, right? So there's no additional battery drain because the router knows who's connected and who's not connected. So I'm like getting the list of connected devices from that as opposed to going out and dialing all my phones, if that makes sense. Right. But yeah, Nmap, I'm guessing it would just do a scan of what it can find and it would eventually have to pick up on a phone, which is why they have the delay off because if your phone is asleep like an iPhone, when you do a scan in that interval, it may be offline. It might be sleeping in that time.
1: Yeah, I have noticed that I've had to um, fiddle a little bit with the um, settings in my configuration to make devices not drop on and off um, Mm. their presence whenever I'm at home. Right.
0: Yeah. It's strange because like an Android phone might be better than an iOS phone. And then you might get a device in like a computer or something that you want to track. That might be another ball game that might always be on or might always be off. So it's that constant tinkering with that number.
1: It is good though. Um, having it based on Mac addresses because I have been able to set up, Hey, um, send me a notification if my NAS goes offline and there's no way I would have been able to install any other kind of tracking on that. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Oh, right. What do you, uh, what do you, how are you driving your
1: notifications? Um, Uh, I'm just using the um, built in push service for the Android and iOS apps. Okay. So, so you're
2: using the native, uh, native apps then?
1: Yeah. I was using that um, process where you did the um, native HTML notifications Mm -hmm. for Android Mm -hmm. But then the Android app got released and that made it so much easier than having to go through that <laughs> big process of setting them up. Yeah, totally. Right. Like
0: who's got like, it's that whole conundrum. Like I could spend time setting it up the way I want it to, or yeah, I could just do it this way. A couple of lines of YAML and it's done. Yeah,
1: definitely much easier. Yeah. Are you uh, are you doing any other uh, automations around the house or? One of my other most used um, devices that I implemented was just a simple SP 8266 um D1 Mini. Okay. So, when we built the house, we wired up a bunch of um, infrared sensors throughout the house to run back to the entertainment center, Mm -hmm. so that if you have the remote for the amplifier, you can change the volume, and I just wired the um, D1 Mini into the sensor port of the splitter block for that, which allows me over MQTT to control um, the radio and the DVD player and anything else in that stack. So That's really cool. One that gets used the most is when the Samsung TV comes online, turn on the amplifier and other stuff related to it. So you don't have to pick up another remote.
0: Yeah. How responsive is that in terms of if you turn the TV on, how long will it take for the for it to know that the TV's on to change the inputs?
1: It definitely varies. The Samsung TV integration is definitely the pain point with that one. Mm-hmm. You usually get pretty reliable turning on notifications. You turn the TV on and, like, a couple of seconds later, the amplifier will turn on but it's much more dodgy when you turn the TV off. Yes. Um, yep. I'll get random false states, like I'll turn it off, you'll hear the amplifier go off. A couple seconds later, it turns back on again and back off. So uh,
0: there's definitely okay. something weird going on. Are you using the NMAP to scan for the TV on the network, or is it something else?
1: It was the just originally just the Samsung TV component mm-hmm. that they had, and then I changed to a custom one from GitHub um, through the... Hex store, but neither of them seem to fix the issue
0: Mm, that's a bugger samsung tvs are are very fragmented in their capabilities i know Mm. i have an old samsung smart tv and none of the uh like it connects to the network it has you know apps on it netflix plex and all that but none of the integrations with home assistant are compatible because the software on it is so old so it's very hit and miss unfortunately when it's set with a samsung tv
1: yeah, it'd be a lot nicer if Samsung ran something standard like Android TV.
0: Yeah, but even then, like, so you'd think Android TV is standard, right? But I I purchased an Android TV for my in-laws, and it was a, you know, just a no-frills branded one, and it sucks. Like, you'd think, like, you can't in- like, there was an issue installing Netflix on it. Um, you'd think it would all be standard. It, it's not. Like, it really depends on... Who the manufacturer of the the panel is as well,
1: right? So sounds like just Android phones' problem as well, with it <laughs> yeah, exactly, data. exactly.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a good analogy. <laughs> <laughs> so it s- sounds like just Android anything in general. Yeah. So are you using any uh like the, s- the smart home ecosystem stuff? You know, like Philips Hue or LifeX or anything like that, or are you only doing like ESP stuff?
1: Well, just got one ESP at the moment. So apart from our Alexa devices, we haven't really had much other smart home stuff in the house because mm-hmm. we just haven't bought it because it's quite pricey over here in New Zealand for yeah. that kind of stuff. So yeah, that's why I'm looking into doing some of the um, Zigbee switches from Sonoff when they come.
0: Oh, nice. With right. the Sonoff stuff, how are you – I know here in Australia, the regulations are pretty extreme. I'm, I'm assuming that we share a lot of the standards with New Zealand – are you worried about not, you know, standards and safety and stuff using Sonoff devices?
1: I, yeah, I'm a little worried, but um, so at the moment, we've only got the one Sonoff, which is controlling the deck lights, um, mm-hmm. and that's outside. So at the moment, I'm not too worried about that, but I'd be more worried if it was inside or in a place that could easily get knocked around.
0: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense.
1: Because they seem like the wires could, a little bit of the design seems like the wires could come loose a little.
2: Yeah, that's, yeah, you gotta be <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> that, that can be pretty bad. Yeah. Could end up being pretty bad.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it's, the problem is for that price point, though, you don't get a whole lot, right? Um, like, you, 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 there's yeah. not a whole lot of people, rather, that are working at that price point.
1: Yeah, unfortunately.
2: Yeah. and
0: So, you're still so you still running on the Raspberry Pi? Like, you haven't moved away to other hardware yet?
1: Yeah, I'm still running on a Raspberry Pi 3B, just that I've had for a couple of years now. Mm-hmm. So I've heard people talk about having their SD cards die on them. Yeah. Um, I haven't had this um, issue myself. Yeah. But I'm definitely starting to get a little worried about it. I lost an update on it. Um, It was around 0.96 or 0.97, but it wasn't related to the SD card. Um, When they deprecated a Python version, the Home Assistant community store disappeared and never came (laughs) back. And then I tried to reboot and it never came back up.
2: Oh, wow. That's no, yeah. So what did you
1: end up doing? Did you end up rebuilding it or did you end up uh, or just leave it? Or Yeah, I ended up um, rebuilding, just um, reconfiguring everything because I still didn't have too much configured at that point. And then after that, I set up automatic backups. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that, <laughs> that, that, that's how you learn real quick to start uh,
2: backing up your stuff, right? Yeah. That's, that's
1: uh, funny. Real good when there's an integration that can do it automatically to Google Drive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, so is that what you use? You just use the Google Drive? Uh... Yeah, I use one of those. It's pretty easy. Perfect.
0: So what sort of SD card are you running? Like, I'm guessing you're not doing any heavy logging or grafandering or anything like that to keep your SD card.
1: No, I'm not Not really doing any heavy logging, but I'm just, I'm actually running quite a small SD card in it. I think it's only eight or 16 gigabytes.
2: Okay. Oh, really?
1: Um, okay. It's just one that I had lying around, so it's definitely not suited for the task. Um, <laughs> and I thought I'd run into it. I thought I'd run into it's storage capacity limits Um, trying to install ESP home. Yeah. Because the container, when I tried to um, run integration, it would say Docker container error 404 container not found. Hmm. But thankfully it wasn't a storage error. It was just some other one where it didn't download properly.
0: That's interesting. So I'm guessing you're just using like, are you using like a Samsung SD card or is it just like a a no frills brand that you just had lying around?
1: A no frills brand one, literally like I've Uh, got SD micro SD cards lying around that I've been using. That probably came from a touristy place where they gave us photos (laughs) on them. (laughs) Yeah,
2: it's, it's it, yeah. It, it's especially if you're doing a lot of like the logging and and a lot of the recorder mm. functions and stuff as well. You definitely want a good card. Um, I know quite yeah. a few people have uh, looked at even uh, can they offload that to an external hard drive, that kind of thing. Yeah, because Home Assistant itself doesn't doesn't uh, you know hit the hit the card too heavily. It, it's those functions within Home Assistant that do.
0: Mm. Well, remember HassIO? Um, like Pascal was saying that they make a lot of the volumes that Hass.io uses or Home Assistant Core uses now in Hass.io read only so that it can't actually write and burn the SD card. Yeah, You know, in case there is something like some random system event that wants to write a log somewhere, it can't because it's read only.
2: Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, that it's, it's just a property of SD cards right at the end of the day Mm -hmm. um, is they die (laughs) as, as morbid as that sounds. But
1: uh, yeah, I
2: mean, a, a good SD card will go a long way, but I mean, listen, if yours is working for you, great. <laughs> right,
1: so. Oh yeah. At least the, um, home assistant hasn't killed the SD card, but it did kill my NAS. <laughs> did it? Oh, really? Like, it oh, just, well, how? It didn't directly kill my NAS, but it's a bit of a tale of woe from building the deck. Um, we were flipping, um, breaker switches to turn off the power where we're going to install the son off mm-hmm. And we had, um... A NAS plugged into one of the ones that we flipped off and we must have caught oh, it at just the wrong time and oh we killed no. it. Yikes. Yeah. Um, were you able to rebuild it or, uh, or like uh, rebuild the data or no? Yeah, we were able to get the data back. Okay. Just just the okay, controller board for it, something went wrong. <laughs>
0: Ooh. Yeah, that's... what sort of NAS is it?
1: Well, it was a Western digital one. Um mm-hmm. so now it don't it was only a one bay one with it pre installed, but now I've managed to get a synology one so hopefully i can get a redundant drive in the future
0: yeah yeah nice yeah that's my biggest i'm running a synology and my biggest concern is that one day it's just not going to boot up and i have five hard drives all rated so you know the hard drives are fine but if the synology unit itself stuffs up i'm gonna (laughs) have to buy like a a a whole other nas just to recover the data off it right so
2: yeah that's my biggest worry i I actually uh probably about six months ago i was like okay i gotta i gotta start backing up my because i i did have my nas and it was being backed up and stuff and it was like it was because i had i had a nas from when i was younger that when i was living with my Mm. parents that i just left there at their place and then when i moved into my place a few years ago i got got another nas so i've been doing like a replication between theirs so theirs files also back up into like a small volume in mine and and vice versa but it's like same time like i need i need something a little better than this right um it's we're between them and i i'm still on the same power grid same or whatever if there's exactly what you said Jaden, which is if you know you you hit it at the wrong time it's and let's say mine's writing and theirs is writing boom both are gone so i've been Mm, i've been doing a cloud backup service and uh and trying to do uh do that so
1: yeah it definitely scares you a bit during thunderstorms
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I bet. I bet. Yeah,
2: it's uh, especially especially in a single drive, it's, uh, it's yeah, pretty uh, risky. pretty bad. Living yeah. on the edge, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: So, tell us a bit about like your standard like so you get home, phone detects that you're on the network, or the network detects that your phones aren't joined. What sort of automations kick off? Have you gone like anything cool that's just for you, or anything that the fan like the, the people in the home of are enjoying about the smart home
1: yeah so i use just um like most people i assume input booleans to track the um occupation um Mm -hmm. so obviously once you get home that turns on and then when that whenever it turns on i get it to um just turn the radio on so a couple of calls there so i use the infrared thing to turn on the amplifier change it to the right input and then tell the um, Amazon Echo unit to start playing the radio.
0: Ah, oh, that's cool. Yeah,
1: that's kind of neat. Is is there? Yeah. Do you haven't Do you have an override for like when you come home at like three
2: a.m. after and w- wake everybody um,
1: up? Or haven't had that at the moment? Haven't had that happen yet. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> I Think we'll. Cross <laughs> if it
0: happens, yeah, yeah, that's when you'll be up at four a.m fixing that automation before you forget. For <laughs> yeah, time. that's right. That's right.
2: It's, uh, it's, it's how, This is how the best automations are made.
1: <laughs> so, but yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Um, I'm working on getting our garage doors set up in Home Assistant at the moment. Yeah. Um, they're a bit of the relay board to control them is working perfectly, but we're getting weird like state issues with the sensors that we're using. Okay. So you'll put the garage door up. And before I implemented the debounce, the garage door sensor would go on off on off on off while the garage door is going up or down. Oh wow, that's uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that can be bad. Yeah, so yeah. even after like putting a super long um, debounce delay in the ESP Home config, it's still like you'll notice that so they change funny, but it's interesting just something to get doing.
0: So what are you using to to do? All- so have you got like a, a special garage door unit that you can tap into or using a kit from somewhere?
1: Um, no, we've just got standard um, garage doors, just nothing fancy about them. But we've mm-hmm. got um, four core alarm cable t- running to them. So yep. there's two cores left over to put a sensor onto. Okay. So we were we had um, reed magnet sensors on the doors um, mm-hmm. and we thought, maybe the metal in the door is making the mag um the sensor go funny but we replaced them with limit switches and mm-hmm. we still get this funny error so something about the cable itself must be
0: must have gone wrong interesting mm. and so then you're sending that data back to to what like to home assistant somehow
1: yeah just back to our home assistant with the, um esp home integration
0: okay nice and so did- does the ESP home, like, they've obviously got an ESP unit somewhere. Is that in the garage, on the garage door? or
1: It's, unfortunately, sits up in the ceiling, which is... Right. So, our house, we have the gar- two garage doors down in the basement, and right. then it run, we have the alarm cables run from the garage doors all the way up into the ceiling. So, I think it's a possibility that over such long distance that the ESP's um, pins are just losing voltage or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially since it's low voltage, right?
0: Yeah. yeah, so I'm guessing that the physical location of the ESP is not in the garage; it's where the end of those cables are.
1: Yeah, unfortunately. Oh,
0: that's interesting.
2: Yeah, that's. I mean, I, I'd I'd love to know how you end up uh, solving it or, or what 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 ends up happening, right? So.
1: Yeah, it'll be written up in a blog post when I eventually get around to it. <laughs> there you go. Perfect. <laughs> So, hey, at least given me a reason to do that. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly,
2: exactly. It's but, but I but I gotta I gotta I gotta love the fact that you every part of this you're kinda of DIYing it, right? Um between oh, yeah, only way to keep and, the budget. Yeah. It, it makes sense, right? It makes sense. But uh, hopefully you're learning a lot doing that too. Yeah. So
1: I think that's the wonderful part of home assistance since yeah, everything can be done on a budget, so there's a low entry point for anyone wanting to join. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally, totally. So-
0: and I, it's the breadth, right? Like you can have someone that wants to do the high-end stuff with, you know, go out and just buy a kit and it's all done for you. Or if you can't, don't want to do that, you can do it yourself. And it supports all of it in between as well. Yeah.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: So have you got any future plans on what you want to to eventually be able to automate? Like if you, let's say you just had a, a whole bunch of ESP homes delivered and you were just in quarantine for the next six months, what would you automate if you could?
1: Oh, I'm not sure in terms of just having the ESP homes, but I definitely want to do more Zigbee stuff to try and offload from the Wi-Fi router. Yeah. Um Yes. Just, yes. Just because we see issues with that um, occasionally with the, just overloading in general, you can't help people are always going to join more phones to the network.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Especially if you're using the ISP router, right? That's got to have limitations.
1: Yeah. It's really not a great router. Like I can't even create separate SSIDs on it. So (laughs) yeah, yeah, (laughs) Yeah. definitely feeling a bit of pain there. Yeah, But it would be really nice because Zigbee would also allow me to, if the router or anything does fail, it would just be a bit of backup for stuff Mm -hmm. around the house. So I'd like to have some Zigbee light switches or maybe something something on a different communication protocol for our light switches around the house for the outside lights. Yeah, so, I, I mean, you're, you're
2: talking about, like, in case the router or whatever, for whatever reason, the router dies or some of like that, you're you're not hosed where it's, you know, you can still turn on and off yeah. the lights. You can still do all that stuff.
1: Yeah, still do the mission-critical stuff. Yeah, yeah.
0: Hmm. Ikea's got some pretty cheap Zigbee stuff to mm-hmm. you get your hands on, too, I think. I want to get some of those... Um, the Zigbee remote controls that they've got, like the little turn dials that yeah. they've got for their speakers, yeah, yeah, they look cool.
1: The um, the IKEA stuff, um, Zigbee IKEA stuff, always makes me so jealous because we don't have any IKEA stores here in New Zealand. So,
0: no,
2: I didn't realize that. You're joking.
0: Oh
1: no, we're still oh, waiting man. on them to
0: arrive. So, would be really nice if they could hurry up. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean. Sydney's only five hours by plane, so pop over. (laughs) We have the same, you know, plugs and sockets, same voltage, so compatible. That's right.
2: That's right. (laughs) And and if you ever need any furniture, just uh, you know, you might have to pay a little bit of freight uh, for it. (laughs) Just a little bit.
1: (laughs) Just a little bit. That's right.
0: That's interesting um, that you can't get Ikea in New Zealand, because I know you've even got, like, the hardware store Bunnings and, and all that. So I thought you would have, they would have just done Australia and New Zealand yeah, at the same time.
1: Yeah. We've got Bunnings here, but they've been selling some grid connect system or whatever they're advertising now. and It,
0: uh, it seems to be, yeah. like,
1: their entry into the smart home market, but it doesn't yes, seem yes, to yes. be home assistant compatible right. as far no, as I know. No. So. I, um,
0: I think it is. It's. Um, I think they're all two-year based. Oh, so, so they're two-year based. That would be great. Yeah, that's I'm pretty but sure. Still, still a little overpriced. Yes. Well, unfortunately, yeah. I think um, over here we have the Arlec. Um, they've got the the brand Arlec has got a whole bunch of smart home stuff now, and that's all two-year based. So they've got like fans, light switches, globes, and all that, mm-hmm. and it's you know their entry point into the smart home stuff. But once again, it's all. To your based and if you do some search googling around i'm sure you'll find people that have been able to flash um tasmota or two on whatever it is onto it um but yeah right. it's all wi-fi based though which is what you want to get off
1: yeah and just with being wi-fi based like it, it's always confusing why don't why don't the smart um these big giants use the other protocols because then you have a much easier setup i reckon instead of having to depend on the customer's router mm. Yeah. Well, sometimes it's all, it also comes down to cost, right? Wi-Fi is yeah, uh, for a Wi-Fi chip is probably cheaper. cheaper than a Zigbee. Yeah,
2: radio, but right? the proof
1: because I'm using ESP8266s and they're way cheaper. So yeah. Well, exactly. Right. So yeah.
0: From a consumer point of view, it's oh, I have Wi-Fi at home. I can that will work with me. That'll work on our Wi-Fi. Right. You don't yeah, need any other hubs. Why? You don't
2: need any other anything else too. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah, I. It's funny. I didn't even think of that part because I was like, "Yeah, I've got a hub. It'll work." Right. <laughs> but yeah, it's,
1: yeah, yeah. The hubs definitely cause a problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, I don't. I've got one little complaint with the home assistant core actually. Uh-oh. uh All Just right. to close off with, um, I'm not sure if it affects people that are running more on Docker setups or anything other than Raspberry Pi. But the um, update button for, like, updating the Home Assistant core, like from 107 to 108, for instance, it doesn't seem to have much feedback on it. So, like, if I'll I'll click it and then it will think and sit and then it will fade away and then I get no um, indication as to whether it's actually updating or not. Because Mm, I've had to click it several times in the past to get it to update and that's always been a little bit mysterious as to whether it's updating or not
2: yeah that's a good point I, well i thought it had the am sp- i thinking of something else i thought it had like the spinner but yeah there's no feedback in terms of is it actually doing something
1: yeah uh, like even just a notification down in the corner saying home assistant is now updating right right right
0: mm. I- i'm wondering if it's because it's behind the scenes it's all docker right so there might be a, a docker pool going yeah. on or, or if it's something like that maybe they can't tap into that yet but I think that's a valid reason. Yeah.
2: I I know some of the devs listen to the show, so let's see. Let's see.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, Jaden, thank you so much for coming on this morning and sharing your home assistant journey with us. we'll leave links to your blog in our show notes where people can check out. And we've now added some extra blogs that you'll need to add in for the future as well. So make sure you do them. (laughs) That's right. Cool. All
1: right. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jaden.
0: Cheers. Thanks. If you want to share your home assistant journey or come on as a guest, reach out to us at feedback at haspodcast.io. That's H-A-S-S podcast.io.
2: The Home Assistant Podcast is hosted by Phil Hawthorne and myself, Rohan Karamandi. For links to topics that we discussed today, check out our show notes on haspodcast.io.